0: Sometimes the most obscure event or character becomes a pivotal moment or player in our lives. Uh, Sometimes the most likely and obscure characters in the Bible become the central figure of God's salvation purposes. And what we need to understand as his people is that the thing that God is doing in this world, that he has been doing, that he is doing, and that he continues to do, is so huge and on such a scale uh, that it actually required a forerunner to precede what God was doing to announce the arrival of God's promised one, the Messiah, the Christ, onto the scene and the stage of world history In Luke chapter 3, our passage for this morning, and if you have it, it would be great if you would keep it in front of you, uh, that is the situation that we come to. Uh, God has sent someone uh, to proclaim to the nation of Israel and to the world that everything that God has been doing up to this point is now ready Uh, Luke chapter 3 is a a clear new phase in the story that Luke is telling. The eyewitness account that our author is presenting. And the nature of the progression is from a number of private events in Luke 1 and 2 to a very public ministry here in chapter 3. Here is the spokesman that God had promised back in chapter 1 of Luke that he sends rather miraculously uh, through the word of an angel to Zechariah as he serves in the temple, uh, the announcement of a voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way for God to come to his people. The world can never say that when God's promised one came into the world, he came without notice or preparation. Uh, This is an announcement of both ultimate and eternal significance Uh, but before we can get to the central theme of this morning which really is repentance as John has drawn our attention to uh, we need to work our way through the list of names in verses 1 and 2 here we are introduced to a list of political and religious names that though not well known to us were household names of that era. They were the political and the religious elite, those that wielded incredible amounts of power. However, not only were they known uh, for their power, they were also marked out for their wickedness. There is hardly a name on the list who was not infamous for evil and corruption. These were the villains of the time, the real-life versions of Thanos and Darkseid and the Joker. Why is Luke recording these details here at the beginning of all of this? Is it just to point our attention to that this really happened in history, or is it something else? Luke wants us to know that this is not myth or folklore or mysticism, that the events that may have happened under the watch of these villains did not happen under their control. The explanation is not found in the list of names, but rather in what God was doing in that moment. For alongside this list of elites is placed another name, John, the son of Zechariah, and nobody in relation to the previous set of names. Look again at verses 1 and 2, and notice, though, that there is another character that is mentioned that we easily miss, arguably the most important character of the lot, in the back half of verse 2, we read that the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. This character has been silent on the world stage for 400 years at this point. But now, for the first time in centuries, he returns as the word of God came to John. He is God's elite messenger amongst the elites, powerful authoritarian, wicked regimes of the day. And if ever there was a loaded phase, if ever there was a phrase that should cause us to wake from our slumber, that should cause the hair on the back of our necks to stand, this one, the word of God came, should be at the forefront. For when God speaks in the Bible, he speaks in order to act, to bring about and further his promises, to achieve his purposes, to accomplish his work. The message that resides with John is from God, and that is what makes it important. Prior to this, no prophet had spoken from the Lord for 400 years. The last one was Malachi. The last time that the word of the God came to someone was so long ago that the nation had almost forgotten. This is the moment to recognize that things were changing. This is a momentous event Things are about to change as the word of God returns. I suppose one of the things that this really raises for us as we think about the application, as we think about this nobody, as we think about a phrase that we can so easily read over in our Bibles when God speaks, is what time is it on God's calendar? Let us learn never to despair about the cause of God's gospel, God's kingdom, God's church, or God's truth. Because however black and unfavorable its prospects might appear, God is still at work. At the very time when things seemed to be the most hopeless, God was preparing for a mighty deliverance. After all, the darkest hour of the night is often that which just precedes the dawn Let us be careful that we don't slacken our hands to the purposes of God because of the wickedness of the times that we live in or because of the power that we conceive that our adversaries have. After all, Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 4 says, He who observes the wind shall not not sow. He who regards the clouds shall not reap. If we think that we are overcome and overrun by evil and we don't act in the world as God's people, on his mission, we'll never act. Let us rather press on and believe that help will come from heaven when it's most needed. At the very hour that the Roman emperor, the ignorant priests seemed to have everything at their feet, the Lamb of God was about to come forth and establish his kingdom through his word. And he continues to do that So let us press on in full assurance, knowing that in the past, God has spoken to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The word of God and the coming of the king are inseparable. The king comes in his word. God is not silent anymore. And he still speaks today. The second thing that we need to notice as we work through this passage is that Luke wants us to understand that repentance is essential for the forgiveness of sins. So the word of God comes to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, uh, which is a loaded phrase in and of itself. uh, Because the word of God comes in the most obscure and unlikely place, to the most obscure and unlikely person. Uh, Many times God has acted from out of the wilderness. There will be times in your life where God's word comes to you through Jesus when you are in the wilderness and he draws you to himself. But this idea that repentance is essential for the forgiveness of sins is bound up as the word of God comes and John goes throughout the region of the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That was the word that came to John to preach a baptism for the repent, for the, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, that idea of repentance runs right the way throughout the New Testament. It runs all the way through Luke's second volume of Acts. Uh, repentance is a complete turning around, turning towards that leads to total change. As part of our acclamation to Raleigh and the United States, we have discovered the U turn and have exercised it extensively in these last few months. For those of you unfamiliar with this, it's when you are driving down the road and it is brought to your attention that you are going in the wrong direction and you need to perform a 180 degree turn and then proceed to the route. Sometimes Siri, sometimes Janine. In these last few months, it has been a nearly daily occurrence for us as a family. Repentance includes a recognition that we are going in the wrong direction. But jokes aside, it also includes a recognition of how bad our sin is and how great our need for God is, how far off course we actually are. Uh, The words used for repentance in the Bible signify a turning and a returning and a changing. It is moving in one direction that is away from the Lord and turning around completely, not only towards the Lord, but in running and moving towards Him Repentance fundamentally means to change your mind about something, it has to do with the way that you think about it. It has to do with your mind, your will, your heart, your emotions, your attitudes. You've been thinking one way, but now you begin to think the opposite way. Repentance is a complete and thorough change of the heart, mind and conduct on the subject of sin. In just a couple of bullet points in case you're taking notes, uh, repentance is the acknowledgement of sin. Psalm 51 verse 3, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. A person must first consider and recognize what sin is and know the plague of his heart before he can be duly humbled for it. Where there is no sight of sin in our lives, there can be no repentance. Repentance. Repentance is also the confession of sin, it is to admit your sin, to agree with what God says about sin. In Matthew's account of John the Baptist we read him saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Repentance is also sorrow for sin. Psalm 38, verse 18, I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. Repentance always includes a sense of sorrow for the wrong that we have done. To turn towards God must mean that we turn away from something. We have to change direction. We have to make that u turn Furthermore, repentance is the renouncing of sin. Repentance signifies the sinner's determination to turn from all known sin. Uh, If you look further down in Luke chapter three, uh, true repentance uh, leads where possible to a most fundamental change. The crowd says to John, what should we do? And John says, verse 11, anyone who has two shirts, should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. It looks different for different people. The tax collectors, they say, what should we do? And he says, well, don't collect any more than you are required, he told them. And the soldiers say, well, what should we do? And he says, don't extort money, and don't accuse people falsely, and be content with your pay. This is true repentance that leads to life. J.I. Packer wrote of repentance, It means changing one's mind so that your view, values, goals, and ways are changed and one's whole life is lived differently. The change is radical, both inward and outward, mind and judgment, will and affections, behavior and lifestyle, motives and purpose. All are involved. Repentance means starting a new life, which is why the Apostle Paul could say in Acts 26 verse 20, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. It's why John can say in chapter 3 verse 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And he then goes on and says, and don't make excuses for yourselves. Don't say, well, we have Abraham as our father. Don't say, well, we have Holy Trinity Anglican Church as our church. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. True repentance always leads to genuine change true repentance will entirely change you the bias of your souls will be changed and then you will delight in God in Christ in his word and in his people now let me say that for anyone who has ever had to say to a wife or to a child or to a parent I am sorry I was wrong let's do it your way, you will have some sense and some feeling of just how hard repentance can be. But John preached that unless you repent of your sin, your sins cannot be forgiven. The gospel is the promise of that forgiveness, the escape from that wrath of God that is to come, the ax that is laid at the base of the tree. It brings about that restoration of relationship by turning to God. It's not that our repentance makes atonement for our sins, and if you've zoned out, just come back for a second. It's not that our repentance makes atonement for our sins. I'm not saying here uh, that this is a works-based salvation. The blood of Christ and nothing else can take away the sins of a person's soul. No amount of repentance can ever justify us in the sight of God. But even while we say this, we must carefully remember that without repentance, no soul was ever saved. Although there is nothing meritorious in our repentance, our repentance uh, doesn't change uh, God's disposition to uh, forgive us and to show mercy and show his grace on our lives. Our salvation is all of grace from first to last. Uh, we need to understand that even repentance is not brought about by the natural man, not of the human spirit, but of the Holy Spirit, so that God's grace precedes our penitent response. And it is always God who takes the initiative in bringing us to that place where repentance is possible in the first place. So that we must understand that true repentance is never alone, It always has a companion, it is always accompanied by lively faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We turn from sin to faith in our Savior. A repentant life is a life lived, trusting, relying, and depending upon God. Repentance and faith are so closely intertwined that they cannot be separated. Which is why when Jesus came preaching of the kingdom of heaven, he said, repent and believe. For the kingdom of God is at hand. And yet the great fact still remains that saved souls are always repentant souls and that saving faith in Christ and true repentance towards God are never found separately. This is a mighty truth and one that we should never forget the last thing that we need to understand from Luke chapter 3 is the quote from the prophet Isaiah that Luke includes in the explanation of John's preaching. He went about proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Here is the great announcer with the great announcement that the Lord is coming. Uh, You might begin to ask yourself, if that is what repentance is, uh, why? Why is it so important? Why does it come at the forefront of the preaching of the gospel? Why does it run all the way through uh, Luke and the Acts of the Apostles and the whole New Testament? Well, we need to understand that the words that Luke quotes from Isaiah are words that were there to comfort Israel. Uh, He came, says Luke, preaching baptism as an expression of repentance. Baptism was the outward sign of the inward reality that was taking place in the change in these people's lives. This, in turn, would lead to forgiveness. A call to repentance, it wasn't out of the ordinary for a prophet to call the nation back to the Lord. But this is somehow different from all of the others. And Luke shows us that in the way that he uses the prophecy. The heart of the prophecy was a metaphor, an illustration drawn from the ancient custom that when an emperor or another important figure would come out, to your town, to your city, you would go and prepare the way by making the path straight. You would level everything out. You would clean it all up. It's like when your mother-in-law comes for Christmas and you get everything ready. That's what's happening, but on a much bigger scale He's using the metaphor that Isaiah predicted that one day Israel would be called upon to prepare an approach road for such a visitor. And Isaiah leaves us in no doubt as to who that visitor is. To prepare for Yahweh, for the personal name of the Lord, a highway for our God. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, Adonai Yahweh will come as a mighty one. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. Luke uses Isaiah's word to describe John's ministry, to identify the one whom John was announcing and pointing to. But he doesn't just borrow the phrase to describe what John was doing he actually goes so far as to say that what John was doing was the fulfillment of what Isaiah said was coming. That John's was the voice that according to Isaiah was destined to call upon the people to prepare the approach road. Repentance is the highway of the Lord into the hearts of the world. Let me say a couple of things as we bring all of this to a close. I wanna give you two warnings and one encouragement. The first warning is this. Beware of a false repentance in your own life. Repentance, I hope you will see, is not remorse. It's not regret that I got caught out for my sin. Repentance is the whole person turning towards God, a complete change of disposition and placing complete trust in his promise of salvation. Uh, Repentance leads to a changed mind, a changed will, a changed attitude, and a changed life. Remember that the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked, who can know it? And can I encourage you in the course of today to open your Bibles and read through Psalm 51 and the incredible repentance and confession of David after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, Psalm 51. The second great danger that we will face is not just the false repentance, but that we stop repenting. Martin Luther, when he nailed his 95 theses to the the door, the very first one he spoke about was the call that all of life is repentance. Tertullian, an early church father said, I was born for nothing but repentance. John Calvin, the exercise of repentance ought to be uninterrupted throughout our whole life. Let me let you into my life just a little bit. I wake up every morning and before I can even get out of bed, I have to repent. And I go to bed every night doing the same because if my heart is left to itself, it will turn towards the world, it will turn towards pride, it will turn towards self-salvation. All of life is repenting, and so let me warn you, never stop repenting. Finally, an encouragement. John's voice was not just a voice in the wilderness, it is a voice to the whole world and to all history, but perhaps most importantly today, It is a voice to you, a voice that still calls out, prepare the way for the Lord into your own hearts and into your own life. True repentance is God's highway into your heart. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. I don't know about you, but that's my heart. This verse calls upon us to make an easy roadway for the coming of the king to enter our hearts and lives. You begin by turning from your sin and falling at the king's feet and seeking his forgiveness. Let's pray. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. We ask this in the wonderful and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.